that song. All right. Well, this morning, let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Matthew. All right. Matthew chapter number two, because we are in the first Sunday of December. And it's hard to believe December's already here. And that means right around the corner is... Christmas, that's right. I told you back in July I'd be here in like six weeks. I wasn't wrong. But uh, anyway, it's here, right around the corner. And so I know that with the holidays, that can bring different emotions for, for different people. I know that for most, when it comes to Christmas and holidays, man, we get plum excited. I know around my house we do. I get excited for Christmas. My kids are already pumped, and they've been pumped for some time. I'm going to go ahead and tell you a, a secret in my house, all right? Some of you think we're crazy, uh, despite what I'm about to tell you. But you th- some of you going to think that we're really crazy. Uh, we've had our Christmas stuff up since the Saturday before Halloween. Oh, yes, it is true. All right, my wife is shaking her head. Yes, we have. That's how much we like it, all right? And uh, some of us, you know, listen, around the holidays and Christmas time, we absolutely enjoy this time of the year. But still, I know, I know there's others who find this time of year, find the holidays, they find Christmas time of the year, they find it a little more difficult. And uh, whether they find it difficult because of recent loss of, of a loved one or Maybe in the past they've had some horrendous experiences or whatever the situation may be. Some folks still find this time of the year hard and, um, and they struggle. And my heart goes out to them. And I want, if you're here, you're one of those, you say, look, I struggle this time of year. If you're one of those individuals, I, I want you to know you have a church family that loves you, all right? And I want you to know you have a pastor that loves you. And you're invited over at our place, all right, for Christmas dinner or whatever. Actually, being my in-laws, so yes, I invite you over there, okay? <laughs> but, uh, but you're welcome to come. You have a church family that loves you. You have a pastor that loves you. But even still, there is someone greater that cares and loves you, and that is the Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus Christ. You have a Savior today, the Son of God, who who would willingly leave the splendors of heaven and come to a sin-cursed earth and willingly take upon himself the form of a servant and be made in the likeness of men and live a perfect and sinless life. And when that time was up, his hour had come, he would willingly lay down his life. He made it plainly known, no man takes his life from him, but he of, him, of his own self would lay it down. He willingly laid down his life as a substitutionary death for all of mankind, but that death would only last a short time, three days and three nights to be exact, because on that third day, when Jesus would rise victoriously from the, from the grave to give life and to give life eternal, I want you to know that you and I have a Savior today, and He loves you. They were willing to do all of that just for, just for you. Aren't you glad that Jesus came? Aren't you glad that we have a Savior today? Aren't you glad we have a King? Well, I am. I'm extreme, extremely thankful that we have a Savior, that we have a great God, that we have a great King, and that He came for us. 
And so with that in mind, I'd like to consider over the next few Sundays on, along, those, along those lines, along that thought of when Jesus first came. And uh, let's start, all right, in the first book of the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, and consider this title this morning, okay? I want to consider the king's birth, and we'll be in Matthew chapter number 2. Matthew chapter number 2. And as you're finding your place there, it may be good for you to know, to take note of, that the book of Matthew was written by the human penman, uh, none other than Matthew. That's right. Good job, class. And, uh, but written by Matthew is the human penman, at least. Also, in the, New, in the New Testament, you'll find his name is Levi, all right? But it was Matthew who God used to pen the book of Matthew. But as you study this book, as you study the book of Matthew and, and read about his life, you will find that Matthew was a Jewish tax collector by trade. Uh, that meant that Matthew would have collected taxes for the Roman Empire from his Jewish brethren. He would have been an IRS kind of fella. And uh, so he would have been considered a publican. And please know these publicans, these tax collectors during this time period, were absolutely hated by just about everybody, but especially the Jewish people. And uh, they were hated because these tax collectors at this time would always take more than what was necessary. Uh, they would uh, legally uh, steal the hard-earned money of others in order to pad their own pockets. They would skim off the top, so to speak. And uh, that's what they would do as tax collectors. And it seems that not much has changed in 2,000 years, but anyway. But that's what they would do, okay? And that's who he was. But Matthew was also not only a tax collector, but he was also one of the original 12 disciples. That meant that he walked with Jesus for over three years. That meant that he saw the mighty miracles of Christ that he heard from the lips of Jesus, his teaching and his preaching. For nearly three years he heard and saw so much from the Lord. But in the process of time, he was chosen by the Holy Ghost, by God, to write a gospel account. And as he writes this gospel account that bears his, his name under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he does so from the Jewish perspective. He does so with the Jewish mind in mind. So one could say that this gospel record of Matthew... One could say that it was really geared to reach the Jewish people with the good news of Jesus Christ. And I say that because of how Matthew starts this letter in Matthew chapter 1 and verse number 1 when he says this, The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So when he starts out this way, right from the very beginning, Matthew highlights two of the most important people in all of Jewish history, David and Abraham. And then as you continue reading on in Matthew chapter number 1, he begins to give the genealogy of Jesus Christ through these two, these two men. And so Matthew connects the family tree on the human side, at least of Jesus, all the way back to Abraham and David, and this is very important to know, we'll see why in just a minute, all right? So stay with me. But for some folks, as they read Matthew, and especially read the genealogy tree that's recorded for us there in Matthew, we struggle with some of these names, do we not? Uh, you can read them for yourself, you get a little cross-sided. Does anybody else do that, or is that just me? Okay, good. Uh, well, let me give you a little, um, a little encouragement this morning. 
Uh, you may not know how exactly to pronounce these names. Well, I don't think anybody alive knows exactly how to pronounce these names, all right? So pronounce them how it just comes to you naturally from your Appalachian English, all right? So anyway, but it'd be hard sometimes to, to pronounce some of these names. And that's why I'm glad we live where we live, okay? Where people are named Bubba and Bubba Jr., and Bubba Jr. Jr., but anyway. But, uh, but it can be a little bit difficult to pronounce some of these names. With these genealogies, these names are highly important. Why? Because Matthew is about to make a declaration that is of utmost importance. He is about to declare a magnificent truth that is exciting and exact in nature. And that declaration that he is about to make when you come to chapter number two is this one. The king has been born. Not just any king. No, no, no. The king that has all the rights to his father, David. The king has been born. Now, when you make this kind of declaration... And you write it down for all generations to see and to read. You make such a strong declaration, especially the Jewish mind, you had better be able to back up that kind of claim. You had better be able to back up that kind of declaration. I mean, people are going to want to know, well, well how do you know this? Well, what's the background of the king? What is his credentials that you can present to us to, that we can know this is the king, you know, where's the proof of all this? People will want to know that. So Matthew, before he even makes this declaration, gives the factual uh, genealogy proof that Jesus is the rightful king as he starts out in verse number one, chapter number one. Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then declares that this man, Jesus, who's been born, he is the king. So please know, as we consider this uh, today on the king's, the king has been born, as we consider this, don't just, don't just think of just a little baby in a manger. Don't just think that. But rather, think of this individual as we read about it in chapter number two. We're speaking of the birth of the King, And this record, this lineage of Jesus is the proof that he's the only one that has the rightful place, the throne of David. He is the only king. The king has come. And his name is Jesus. So let's consider that this morning. And let's look at this, some responses to this uh, announcement, this re responses to the declaration that Matthew gives as he tells them that the king has been born. And the first response I want to see comes from uh, this set of people, uh, comes from the wise men. So look at it, Matthew chapter 2 and verse number, uh, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. Move down to verse number 9. And when he had heard the king, they departed and said, Lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, 
They rejoiced with exceeding great joy, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream, they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. Our fathers, we look to this text this morning, this subject this morning of the birth of the King, the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us, I pray, to see these responses of the different individuals surrounding this birth, but help us to apply it to our life so that we today, today in the 21st century, in 2023, would respond right to this knowledge that Jesus, the King, has been born. We love you. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first ones we see here as we consider the responses of people at the knowledge and news that a king has been born is the wise men. And what did they do uh, with this knowledge and understanding? Well, they did this. They came to worship the king. They came to worship the king. Now, I believe this is very significant in that when we take note of who these wise men really were. And uh, we got to be honest, though, we got to be honest that we don't know a ton about these men, but we do know a little bit about these men. And what we do know about these men, the wise men here, is that these men came from the east, as the scripture said, we just read a minute ago, meaning east of Israel. And if you were to take a map and look who is located east of Israel, you will find that those countries are in the modern-day countries of Jordan, Syria, Iraq, Iran, and others. I don't know about you, but when you line all of that up, knowing that these men came from the east, I find it very interesting that these men very well could have been descendants of Ishmael. And if you know your Bible history, then you know that the descendants of Ishmael and descendants of Isaac, meaning the Jewish individuals and the Muslim individuals, have not always gotten along. If you've watched the news in any length at all in the past couple of months, you know this is true. But they've not always gotten along. There's always been fighting ever since the time of Abraham. But regardless, if they were descendants of Ishmael, we know they came from the east. And this meant, though, that at least they were non-Jewish individuals, meaning they were Gentile men. And these uh, wise men, these Gentile men coming to Israel, coming to see the king of the Jews, they came not this time for war, but for worship. Uh, they didn't come this time, maybe in previous decades, they didn't come this time to fight like they have previously, but to fall at the feet of of Jesus and to see the birth of the king. Understand, these men, wise men, were from the east and very well could have been descendants of Ishmael. Something else I find interesting about these men is this. They've been commonly referred to as the Magi. All right, now what in the world is the Magi? Okay, well the Magi would refer to a group of scholars who would study the stars. So in their own right, these men would have been very learned and educated individuals. Uh, they would have been um, a form of scientists in their own right, okay? So what I'm doing right now is painting a picture for you for these wise men. Okay, we'll get to it. But, but picture this. They were descendants of Ishmael. They were highly intelligent 
And this, third thing, is what they were. They were insanely rich, all right? They were very wealthy individuals. And you say, well, how in the world do you get that, preacher, when you read the Scripture? Well, we get that from a sense of their, of their wealth when they give the gifts that they bring to Jesus. And in verse number 11, it says that they bring gold, frankincense, that's your essential oils, okay, uh, frankincense and myrrh. And just on a side note, some think because uh, there was just three gifts that that means there's only three wise men. But I don't think there was just three. This is my personal opinion, okay? I don't think there was just three wise men. I believe there'd be a, a bunch of them. I believe there would be a caravan of wise men that traveled from the east to Jerusalem to see the king. Here's why I think that. Because the Bible says that all Jerusalem, in verse number 3, all Jerusalem was troubled. Meaning they were scared to death. Let me ask you, would you be scared to death, all of Jerusalem, be scared to death, troubled, at the news of only three people? At the news of only three wise men, I don't think Herod would be troubled by that. He wouldn't be scared about that. However, you find a host of people coming, a caravan, dozens if not hundreds of people coming from the east to Jerusalem. Now that, that causes a little bit of concern. That would raise a little bit of uh, uh, trouble in your heart and mind. It'd be a little intimidating. If many people from the east came. So I believe there's a caravan of people bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh. These wise men coming from, from the east, Ishmaelites, who are very intelligent individuals, insanely rich, coming. For what? They're coming to see the king and to worship him. You know, as I've thought on these individuals, these wise men, as I've thought of them over the years, and how they were making this journey and coming to see Jesus, I had to ask this question, how do they know where to come in the first place? Uh, how do they know whose star to look for in the first place? Well, here's what I believe, and I'll keep it very short. What I believe is this, these individuals came because of an individual that we know of in the Old Testament and that has a book that bears his name. And if you remember, uh, back in the Old Testament... The Chaldeans came down to Jerusalem, ransacked the city, and took back some of the choice young men back to their city. And it was one of the, um, uh, the, largest, one of the largest cities at the time. Of course, military might, one of the mightiest cities at the time. Starts with a B, ends with Babylon, Babylon, that's right. And, uh, but do you remember who they took back to their city to teach the ways of the Chaldeans? Daniel. Daniel, one of the finest young men they could find. They took him back. Try to train him and teach him in their, in their ways. But they soon found out that Daniel was not going to be an individual who they could just push around and bully around. No, no, no. He had a commitment to God. He had a staunch relationship with the Lord of heaven. And he was not going to bow the knee to any king except his one. And that's the Lord of glory. They couldn't push him around. And so they found out, though, that later on, as he was around the, the, the kings of, of the time, that uh, they found out that he was a very wise individual. And the Bible says this in Daniel chapter 2, verse 48. Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors 
over all the wise men of Babylon. So I believe that Daniel, being the ruler of all the wise men, being the ruler of all the magi, that he could have taught them the very word of God. That he could have taught them the prophetic visions that God had given him, the dreams that God had given him. He would have told them and, and, and taught them of all of that and no doubt teaching them that Messiah one day, the king, he would come. He would teach them and would have taught them of the God that he knew. And so this teaching would have been passed down generation after generation to each wise man. So folks, here is what these wise men did. They responded to the light that was given to them. They responded to the truth that was given to them, no doubt handed down from Daniel. They responded to the star that knew that the king had come. They came not for war, but for worship. This is still a wise response, just so you know. To fall down and worship the King, to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, our worship is not just limited to this season. It's not just limited to Christmas and to the knowledge that Jesus has come. No, it should be something we do every single day. But don't miss out on worshiping Him this time of year. So we see these wise men, what they do? They came for Worship, we see their desire in it. And then number two, I want to see uh, this individual. I want to see Herod the Great. He was around this time at the announcement that the king was born. And understand before we read his response that Herod the king, Herod the Great, was a paranoid, immoral, evil, and murderous individual. History has said that he was married at least nine times. And, of course, this would be done to fulfill his own lustful, uh, sinful lust, but also to strengthen his political ties. But it is even said that he had, he had one of his wives and her two brothers killed because he suspected them of treason and conspiring against him. You see, he didn't want anyone to interfere with his rule. He didn't want anyone to interfere with his power because it was all about him. And so since he was a murderous individual, paranoid, corrupt tyrant, it is no surprise that Herod responded the way that he did when he heard the news. Hey, the king has been born. What's his response? Look at it with me in verse number 3. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. Verse number 13. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt. And be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem. And all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Now, there are three phrases here, or words, that are said about Herod from these verses. And they show his response to this declaration that the king has been born. And take note of the first one, and verse number three, where it says, He was troubled. He was troubled. Now, what does this mean exactly? Well, it means to cause a person to have inward commotion. 
It means to take away all calmness of mind. It means to strike one's spirit with fear and dread. He was scared to death. No, he was not scared of a little baby boy. Rather, here's what he was terrified of, of losing his power, losing his position, losing his throne. So to preserve his, his sinful desires and to preserve his lust for power and greed, he came up with a horrendous plan to have Jesus killed. And the Bible says in verse 13 that Herod, the end of it, Herod would seek the young child to destroy him. And that's what he wanted. That was his desire. But when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, didn't come back and tell him where Jesus was, he went into a fit of rage and did this in verse 16. Herod, when he saw he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and all the coasts thereof from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. So understand that at this moment, Herod was an evil, cruel man who cared about nothing but himself. And he wanted to keep his position and his power. But also understand, at this time too, this man had an amazing opportunity that billions of people never did have. What do, you, what do you mean by that, preacher? Well, understand the opportunity he had was this, to respond in faith to the news of the king being born. He had the opportunity to respond in faith and follow the wise men and physically see Jesus with his very own eyes. He had the opportunity to respond and believe on the Lord, not only as king, but no doubt as Messiah and Savior. Uh, look at verse number four. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he, this is Herod, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. You see, at this moment he had opportunity that was plainly explained to him by those that should know, the priests and the scribes, and he could have responded to them in faith. Not out of fear. He could have responded to the printed word of God and yes, the given word of God by faith. Remember, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. He could have done that. Yet Herod didn't respond that way. He didn't, he didn't respond in faith. Rather, he responded this way. He wanted to destroy this king. Why? He did not, listen, he did not want Jesus to interfere in his life. That's why. And I believe this is where many folks are even at today. I believe folks don't want Jesus to be the king of their life and Lord of their life because they don't want Jesus to interfere with their life. They don't want Jesus to change their life. They don't want Jesus to be king of their life. But please know this. Jesus is the king and since he is the king of all, he doesn't just deserve some corner of our life. He deserves every bit of our life. I've heard preachers over the years say, listen, either Jesus is king of all or not king at all. And I understand what they're saying. Because he deserves every bit of our lives. Every bit of our lives. For all that he has simply done for you 
and for me. So can I ask you a question this morning before we move on? Is this a way that you have responded? Like Herod? You say, preacher, I don't, I'm not out to destroy Jesus. Come on, that's not me. I, I'm not asking that. I'm asking you. Have you pushed him aside as the rightful king of your life because you don't want him to interfere? How have you responded to the news that the king has come? We know the wise men responded this way for worship. That was their desire. We know that King Herod responded this way. He wanted to destroy him. He didn't want to be interfered with. His life was his. And he didn't want to give it to nobody else. Not even to the king of glory. But then I want to see these folks quickly this morning. In verse number 4 through verse number 6, we see the chief priests and scribes. Again, look at verse number 4. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And he said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not thou the least of the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Now who in the world are the chief priests and scribes here? Well, in short, what these individuals were, were teachers, uh, really master teachers of the Old Testament. They would have known the Old Testament front to back. And they should have known this. The very promises of the coming Messiah. After all, they even knew where he would be born. They even knew the town in which he would be born and even how he would be born and even quoted this knowledge to King Herod himself in verses 5 and 6. And maybe what they quoted, maybe what they read was Micah 5 2, But thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me, that is to be ruler in Israel, whose going forth have been from old and from everlasting. Or maybe they read of Isaiah 9 and verse number 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. But regardless of what they quoted, regardless of what they read, here is what they did when they gave it to King Herod. They authorized the very declaration and claim that these wise men made about the Christ, about the Messiah, about the King, about Jesus. As they said, yes, the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. So, if anyone in this meeting in Matthew chapter 2 with Herod, the wise men, the chief scribes and priests, if anyone, if anyone that should have been beside themselves and, and are just full of joy and wonder and excitement and leaping for gladness and happy about all that was going on, having just a glimmer of hope in these dark days in which they were living, it should have been these men, these scribes and, and these priests. But how did they respond to the news that the king has been born. How do they respond to the declaration that the king is here? How did they respond? Well, here it is. You ready? They did nothing. <laughs> they did absolutely nothing. They were silent. Here's what they did. They ignored the facts. They ignored the truth. And they ignored this caravan of wise men, intelligent people, 
ignored it all. And by the way, these wise men didn't come on some hunch. No, no, they came on the promises and the truth that these scribes and priests knew themselves. Yet they ignored it. They ignored the scripture, ignored the promises that they've been taught, that they have memorized, that they themselves have been teaching. They ignored it all. And while they ignored it, here's what they did. They disregarded the Lord as if, as if he didn't exist. This is a very dangerous place to be. Folks who have so much light and so much truth, and yet they say, yeah, I know about that. (laughs) Okay, you know about that, but what are you doing about that? You know you have the light, you know the truth, but yet you're ignoring it. Come on. What do you mean you're going to just push it aside and disregard that the king has come? Sadly, I believe this is where many people are. Knowing the truth, hearing the truth, and yet what they do is they simply ignore the truth. And sadly, many believers do the same. I'm telling you, many Christians are doing the same. Living their lives today with very little regard to the king, living their lives today as if he doesn't really exist until, listen, until they need him to. That's a very dangerous place to live. and sad place to live. We should allow the truth, the fact that Jesus has come That the king has come. And of course we know the rest of scripture. Why he came. Why he was born. He was born to die for you and for me. To give his life a substitutionary death. To pay for our sin. That the wrath of almighty God the father. Would fall upon him at the cross of Calvary. He would die. Be buried. But three days later rise again from the grave. To give life to all who believe. That's the whole purpose of his coming. We know that. But has that truth impacted your life or are we just saying yeah I know that push it aside stop ignoring it and let it change your life let it change your life you know I've heard um, I've heard people say for many years now let's put Christ back in Christmas I say amen sure absolutely Absolutely. Let's try this one. Let's put Christ back in Christian. And then maybe we'll see the rest. Let the truth of Jesus being the King, and He has come, change your life. Because understand something, the King, He's come once, but He's promised to come again. Let the truth Change your life. You know, too many times people are waiting on a sign or they're waiting on this or waiting on that. I'm reminded of um, the text in Luke chapter 16 when the rich man died and Lazarus died. Not Lazarus from Bethany, but the, the beggar, Lazarus. Both of them died. Now, Lazarus, he went to Abraham's bosom. But Scripture teaches that the rich man also died and went to 
hell. And in hell, he lift up his eyes being in torments. But somehow, I don't know how this works at that time period, all right? But at this moment in that text, he was able to see Lazarus in Abraham's bosom. But he called out this way to Abraham. He said, Abraham, if you can send Lazarus back to my house, I have five brethren. And they will believe, they know that Lazarus is dead, but they will believe if, if you will just send Lazarus back to them. But here's what Abraham said. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. You know what Abraham was saying? Look, they have the truth of the word of God. If they're going to ignore the truth of the word of God, then no matter of a risen man, as far as the one they knew, Lazarus, coming back to them, is going to change their mind. I'm telling you all that to say this. Let the truth of the word of God change your life. And here's the truth. He has come. We have a king. His name is Jesus. He is the Savior. He is God come in the flesh. He did all that for you and for me, died for you and for me, was buried for you and for me, rose again from the grave for you and for me. He's alive forevermore. And if you will call upon His name, you will be saved. Let the truth Change your life. I, I, I wish these, these priests this moment and, and these, these, uh, uh, these, these scribes at this moment would have allowed that to happen. They knew it. They just ignored it. Stop ignoring the truth. So let me ask you this morning, we'll be done. How are you, how have you responded to the declaration and the truth that the king has come. The wise men, they desired him, worshipped him. Herod, man, what an evil man. He wanted to destroy him. But the priests and scribes, where many people are living today, disregarded him. This was their responses. But what will be yours 